If you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture we'll be looking at is on the inside cover of your bulletin. Uh, We're just going to look at one verse this morning. And before we actually read this verse, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about Easter and the resurrection because we need to make the connection to Easter before we come to this particular verse that we're going to be looking at today. And so I want to repeat something that we said at the outset of the service, that the first hearers of the message that Jesus was raised from the dead, they didn't know what to do with the news. Okay, You you need to understand, they had no category for this. Now, most of the Jews in Jesus' day believed that a physical resurrection was going to happen, but most of the Jews thought that the physical resurrection was something that was going to happen to everybody at the end of time. Okay, that's what they thought. They thought at the end of time, God would raise everyone from the dead, uh, you know, pronounce judgment, and, and that would be the end of time. No one imagined. Nobody anticipated or planned for the reality that one person could be resurrected in the middle of time. And so no one was expecting this. No one would have made this up because nobody at that time would have believed this. This wasn't on anybody's radar. And so this is why the first hearers of this news were scared, confused, and didn't believe at first. Okay, and so initially there was this gap. There was a gap. There was a gap. Do we not have the slides? Hey! There was a gap between the call for the slide and the slide. No, no, this is a really helpful visual illustration. Um, There was a gap between, a disconnect between the historical reality of Jesus' resurrection and the subjective experience of the people who first heard it. Okay? Jesus had risen from the dead on that first Easter morning. He had passed through death. So he didn't come back to life. He passed through death and into eternal life. Okay, it's different. The quality of life that Jesus had is the kind of life that will happen for everyone who believes in him after death. Okay, and so this happened to Jesus. That was a historical reality. He was resurrected with a new body that was the beginning of God's plans for the future of the whole world. And yet, the subjective experience of the people who heard this was they were scared, they were confused, and they didn't believe it. Now, This is understandable when you realize that they didn't have categories for this. Nobody expected this to happen. I think when you add to that the trauma of Good Friday, right? Remember how we left it, right? That from their perspective, hope was gone. When they saw Jesus die, the trauma of the crushing loss of hope that, was, that reality was still sinking in. And it made it hard to receive even this news of the resurrection, let alone to understand it. And I think we feel that gap too, don't we? I mean, most of us aren't scared of this news, but often we hear that Jesus rose from the dead and we think, well, yeah, but I still have the same problems in my life. Right? I still have the same marriage, the same kids, the same work issues, the same suffering. And these things cause us to question Jesus. Our subjective experience of this is so far from the, re- the historical reality. 
And what this does is this makes the resurrection of Jesus seem like vague and insignificant religious trivia. Now this is why, because of this gap that they experienced and that we experienced, because of this gap, Jesus appointed leaders. He appointed leaders to help people understand what the resurrection meant and why it mattered. And these leaders preached it, and they proclaimed it, and they shared it, and then they wrote it down so that this message, this explanation, and the significance of it could be shared and explained beyond their presence. And this is what the New Testament is. The New Testament is the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus and the explanation of why the resurrection matters. Okay? That's what we have here. The New Testament bridges the gap. And what the New Testament did in the first century and what it continues to do today is that it brings hope to those who were scared. It brings clarity to those who were confused and it brings assurance to those who struggled, who didn't believe and struggled to believe. It's true for them. It's true for us. So many people are just not aware of what God has done in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like we hear it, It's celebrated culturally in some ways, but we really don't understand what God has done. And there are even a lot of people who are Christians who believe that Jesus rose from the dead and they still don't know why it matters. The New Testament was written to explain this historical reality and to explain why it matters. And what it says to us, what the New Testament says to us is that the resurrection sent a shockwave into the world. It's a shockwave of new life. The New Testament says that the resurrection proves that the way of Jesus will last forever. If you follow Jesus, you will last forever. Jesus' resurrection means that God's new age of peace, what he is going to bring in when he is finished with his work, has already begun. It's broken into the present evil age. God's future has come into the present And in Jesus' resurrection, we see how things will be, and so we learn the power that can cause us to change and to grow, to be renewed and to heal. And so, in the first century and today, as people begin to understand the resurrection of Jesus, they're drawn to him. They realize this is more than just a trivia question. This is more than just a truth that you're supposed to confess if you're a Christian but they realize that this becomes their hope. This becomes the basis upon which they live their lives. And so they begin to follow Jesus. And as they follow Jesus, they begin to experience something that they described as a personal, metaphorical resurrection in their own life. Okay, here's just one place where the New Testament describes this. In 1 Peter 1.3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so this new life means that Christians begin to experience something new. There's a transformation that takes place that they referred to as a resurrection with Jesus. And this resurrected power that is unleashed in the lives of Christians begins to change the way that people treated others. 
It made Christians treat people the way that Jesus treated them. And so this brings forth a new set of leaders. New people who understood this and began to follow Jesus begin to lead. And these new leaders are people who share the resurrection and show the resurrection through their transformed lives. Are you with me? Because as your life begins to transform, you begin to be a living embodiment of a spiritual resurrection. And so this, this is leadership that's worth following. This is leadership worth following because it joins us to the renewing power of God in the world and it's based on the real transformed life of the one that you are following. There's a historical reality that lies at the base of Christianity and it's your spiritual transformation that gives credence to it, that gives credibility to what you share. And so this changes everything about leadership. When you begin to think about leadership, it changes everything because it, because it, it challenges the kinds of leadership that we are exposed to in, in our present day. Right? It challenges the models. It challenges us to be the kinds of leaders who are worth following, no matter how big or small our leadership influence is. Right? All of us are leaders. Okay, some of us have official capacities where we are called to lead at work or at home. Right? But all of us have relationships where we want to influence people. We know God is calling us to be positive influence on others. And in that respect, everyone is a leader. So this applies to everyone. And this passage in 2 Timothy that we're just going to begin to look at today, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, this shows us how the resurrection of Jesus creates a kind of leadership that's worth following. Okay, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's encouraging him to be the kind of leader who is worth following. And so with that, let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So our first point today in applying the resurrection to leadership is this. Is this. What is the grace? What is grace in leadership? Well, grace means favor. Grace means favor. So that's the blank. The first blank there on your outline. In the Bible, grace can be summed up with the single word, favor. So grace, favor, means goodwill. It means approval. And this grace spans the Bible from beginning until the end. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, when he created humanity, he bestowed upon them his grace. They lived in his favor. God abundantly and extravagantly blessed human beings. And so God's grace is shown at creation. Uh, and God's grace is magnified and grace gets maximized when we continue to see God's favor rain down on people after the fall into sin. And so what sin does is it makes grace even more extravagant, even more abundant. Because though we turn away from God, God continues to pursue us. God continues to love us. God continues to be gracious to us. And so, in leadership, what does this mean? 
Favor in leadership means that the leader is on your side. Gracious leadership means that the leader is on your side. Paul says that here. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The reason Jesus came is because God is on your side. Jesus came because God wants you to know that he loves the world and he invites everyone to return back to a relationship with him. And Jesus didn't just come to show that God is on your side, but he died to show that God is on your side. And he rose from the dead to show that you can be assured of God's forgiveness and his favor. And this grace from Jesus strengthens us. It strengthens our minds and our hearts in tangible, practical ways. Jesus' grace gives us strength. And here's the chief way. The chief way that Jesus' strength, uh, that Jesus' grace strengthens us is that it replaces personal doubt with affirmation. The grace of Jesus, his favor, replaces personal doubt with affirmation. Because the grace of Jesus reminds us of everything that he has done for us. It reminds us that as glorious as he is, as perfect as he is, he came to serve you. If you were the only person who needed saving, Jesus would have gone through exactly what he went through to save your soul, to bring you back to God. His life, his death, and his resurrection are the ultimate expressions of the affirming love that Jesus has for us. And when you know that Jesus is on your side, it changes you. Because he came for you so that he thinks you're worth something. Jesus thinks uh, you're, you're worth saving. He knows you're not perfect, and he loves you still. Jesus sees and affirms the best parts of who you are. He sees the good in you and affirms it. He calls it out of you so that the best part of who you are will grow and will flourish and will increase. And this deep affirmation, right, when you realize that Jesus says, I love you, not because of what you've done, but because of, because of who I am. Right? It's not because of what you've done, but I have come because I love you, because I've set my love upon you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You don't earn it. I love you because I created you, and you belong to me, and I want you back. Right? This is the heartbeat of Jesus. And when his deep affirmation replaces the voices in your head, when his deep affirmation replaces the voices that are sometimes in your family or at your work, that also, it makes us free to be honest about our sins and our struggles. Doesn't it? When you know that there's forgiveness, you can be honest about what needs to be forgiven. Right? When you know that Jesus accepts you just as you are, then you have the freedom to be and to come just as you are. And so this affirmation frees us to be honest about our sins and our struggles. It also enables us to listen to the confrontation and rebuke of others. Right? We can actually hear other people confront us about things that need to grow. 
Because we know that there's a love that will not let us go, even while it encourages us to grow. This is the powerful affirmation of Jesus. And so grace characterizes the leadership that Jesus shows to us. This is leadership worth following. Right? Who wouldn't want to follow someone like this? And Jesus' grace, it strengthens our hearts and our minds, and it causes us to be raised from our sin to live in new life. And so this brings us to our second point, which is a question, are you strong in grace? Right? Are you strong in this grace? Paul says be strengthened by the grace. Are you strong in this grace? How do you know? How do you know if you're strong in this grace? Well, here it is. You know you're strong in grace when you are full of grace toward others. Okay, the way to tell if you are strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus is to look and to see and evaluate, are you full of grace toward others? The Bible describes this as, it describes with the phrase, bearing fruit. Okay, bearing fruit. Uh, we can see if someone is strong in grace on the inside, if they're full of grace on the outside. Right? If you have this grace in you and it's strong, it will come out. And the people around you will be able to see it. You'll be able to see it in your relationships with others. Here's just one example. John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus says that when we believe in him, when we begin to follow him, we're grafted into his grace and his favor. And that grace strengthens us to bear fruit. What does this fruit look like? Well, we got a sort of a, a death and a resurrection in this passage in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 23. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things, this is life without the grace of Jesus. And I don't know about every little thing in, this, in these verses, but there's a lot here when I think about the leadership that sometimes is characteristic in our day and age. Right? It's found in these verses. But here's the fruit that comes from us when we have His grace. Verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of being strengthened by the grace that's in Jesus. Jesus' physical resurrection produces in us a spiritual resurrection when we believe in him. And it creates and it promotes a leadership that is full of grace. And just like in Jesus, this grace-filled leadership starts with you being for others. Right? It's you being for others. You show them grace and favor. They know that you are on their side. 
And I think a big part of our culture actually does get this and, and affirms it. Um, there's a resonance with the idea that leadership worth following should be characterized by this grace. Um, if you look in the business section on the Amazon website, right, you look up um, in the management leadership section, you look up servant leadership, and it comes up with over 1,500 books on the subject of servant leadership. And so this is something that we see. It's something that we affirm. There are companies like Southwest Airlines that have been built on principles of servant leadership. And it kind of shows, right? It shows when you fly Southwest. What? Not perfect. Not perfect. So think about your own leadership now. Think about who do you lead. Right, again, you could have official leadership responsibilities over people at work, people in the home, right? or you've got more informal influence on other people. Again, God wants all of us to be leaders in the sense that he wants all of us to influence the people who are around us. And so what does your leadership look like? What does your influence look like? Would the people that are influenced or led by you, would they say that you are strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Well, practically, this is what, this is what it looks like. The strengthening power of Jesus' grace, what it looks like in your leadership. It looks like you affirming others. It looks like you serving others. It's you humble with what you know. And it's you patient with people who disagree. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't confront, correct, or direct others. Okay, I know sometimes you can look at something like this and think, well, I'm just going to be a doormat. People are going to walk all over me. How can I lead when I'm doing that? Well, this doesn't mean that you don't correct, confront, or direct other people. Remember, what this means is that you are a leader who is on the side of others. Okay, and there are times, right? There are times when being on someone else's side means correcting them. It means confronting them. It means giving them direction for what you need or what they need to do. And so this doesn't eliminate directional and, and strong leadership. Uh, we've seen in the past, just even in 2 Timothy, the pattern of affirm, correct, and encourage. Being for people means doing what's best for them, influencing them to what is best for them. And if they need correction or direction, then it's gracious leadership to give it to them. And so when you lead like this, right, I want you to, to understand why this is so vital, especially when we think about the resurrection. When you lead like this, it shows that you have experienced the resurrection and that you believe others can experience it too. Okay? When you lead like this, this shows the power of the resurrected Jesus. Because there is so much that's inside of us that rails against doing this kind of thing. Right? So much inside of us is about criticizing others, not being affirming. Right? It's about always seeing the worst. It's about always riding people. Right? It's not about affirming them. It's not about serving. Right? I mean, there's so much in us that rails against this. But when you lead like this, when this characterizes the way you treat other people, 
you show the resurrection of Jesus, that you've experienced it. You give people a taste of what it's like, what gracious leadership looks like. And when you lead other people like this, you are giving them an opportunity to see it, to taste it, and who knows, God may invite, give you an opportunity to invite them to experience the resurrection as well. In fact, I think Paul is actually demonstrating this grace-filled resurrection correction in this verse, right, right here in this letter. Because what is, what is Paul doing? He's calling Timothy to be faithful, right? Timothy is blowing it. He's cowering from being the leader that he's supposed to be. And as Paul calls him to faithfulness, he shows Timothy, even in this verse, that he's on his side, right? Paul doesn't disown him. He doesn't criticize him. He actually reminds him that he loves him as a son. Right? Having just described all we've seen about suffering, he says, you then, my son, be strengthened by the grace. And so he's reminding Timothy, Timothy, remember, you're my son. I love you. I'm with you in this. You have my heart. My prayers are for you. My, my heart goes out to you. Timothy, I am on your side. And so, what would this kind of grace-filled leadership look like in your life? What would it look like for you to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Well, this brings us to our last point. This is what to do. What to do. So, there's something I want you to do. I want all of you to try to do this this week. Okay, here's something that you're going to be able to do to put this into practice, okay? I want you to convince someone that they have your favor. Okay? That's what I want you to do. I want you to convince someone else that they have your favor. Right? So this week, show the people in your life that you are on their side. That you are on their side. At home, at work, in your community. In the least, I want you to pick one person. One person that you know God wants you to have an influence on and ask yourself, how can I show them that I am on their side? Right? How can I show them that I am on their side? Okay, this can look like you affirming them. This can look like you serving them. It can look like you being humble in the things that you know so that when you, uh, and being understanding or patient when they disagree with you, right? How can you show them that they have your favor? By doing this, this week, you will put into practice the resurrection grace of Jesus. And I want that for you. As your pastor, I want you not just to hear me talk about this, but I want you to actually experience it in real life. I want you to experience what it's like to be for others as gracious as Jesus has been to you. This will change your life. This will change your life. We're just going to start with one person this week. Just one person. Just convince them that they have your favor. Convince them that you are on their side. Now, to do this, 
Right? To show someone the grace of Jesus, you have to have the grace of Jesus, right? Make sense? You can't share what you don't have. And so this week, this week, I want you to be strengthened by rehearsal. Okay, how do we be strengthened in the grace that's in Jesus? Well, it's through rehearsal. Our kids are involved in the junior theater, Balboa Park, right? And when they begin a new play, the cast and crew get together with the director, and it is a chaotic mess. Right? It's chaos. People don't know their lines. There's no set built. I mean, it's pandemonium. And I've talked to some of the directors, and I've, I've talked to them about the process that they go through, where when they all get together, I mean, it's pandemonium, right? Chickens with their heads cut off would think that's like time of rest for them. But through the process of rehearsal, everything comes together. Right? It's the process of rehearsal where everything comes together. Right? The kids memorize lines, they practice, they get coaching and direction, sets are built, costumes are designed, it all comes together and it becomes an amazing production. That's us. Chaotic mess. We need to rehearse the gospel in our lives. We need to rehearse the grace that Jesus gives to us. And whether this week it'll be the first time that you rehearse the grace of Jesus in your life, or the 101st time, or the 1,001st time, this is what we need to strengthen us. Because this is what reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. This is what reminds us that he is on our side, that he is for us. Right? I mean, this is why once a year we put special attention on the resurrection. Right? It's because we need to rehearse this. We need to come together and say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Right? We need to rehearse this every year. Um, this is what our Sundays are all about. It's a weekly rehearsal of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Right? Our life groups are weekly opportunities for us to come together and to try to help each other to rehearse the gospel and how it applies in our lives. We get coaching and direction from each other. We get support and encouragement. Right? Think about city Bible reading. Right? When you spend time with God reading the Bible and praying it back to Him, when you spend time worshiping Him in private, it's a daily effort to rehearse the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. I mean, these things that we do, it's not because we want to come up with some list of rules to control you. It's because these are the things that will cause you to rehearse the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is why we do all these things. It's to rehearse these things. This, this, this grace of Jesus, this is leadership worth following. And today is just the beginning of our exploration of it. Okay, this is just the first in a series that we're going to look at about this leadership and how we can become leaders that are worth following uh, because Jesus is the leader who's worth following. So I want to close with this quote I read. This is the pastor of a church in Washington, D.C. Um, called Grace D.C. said this. He said, Sunday morning has extended its daylight into Monday morning and beyond. I like that. Right? Sunday morning has extended its daylight into Monday morning and beyond because the same power which exploded death now lives in you who believe. Man. 
So tomorrow, when you wake up, I want you to tell yourself, Easter Monday is here. Easter Monday is here. And on Tuesday, I want you to wake up. I want you to tell yourself, this is Easter Tuesday. And the same power that unleashed Jesus from the grave now lives in you. Go to God with that statement that today is Easter Monday and see how his grace strengthens you and convince the people in your lives that you are on their side. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that this isn't just a historical trivia, but that your resurrection changes everything. Jesus, thank you for the grace that you have shown us from the beginning that continues to be shown every day that we wake up. Jesus, we want so much to have this grace, your affirmation in our life, your approval of us, your acceptance of us, that you have forgiven us and accepted us into your family. Jesus, this changes everything about us. It replaces that personal doubt with affirmation, and it strengthens us. Jesus, would you please strengthen us? Help us to live by your strength and power so that we can show your grace in our leadership this week. Thank you that Resurrection Sunday becomes resurrection every day. Help us to walk in that this week, we pray. For your glory's sake, amen.